Hello, I'm Jane Daly, and this is my podcast for people who know. As an independent thought leader, coach, and work-life activist, I'm curious about people who are accelerating their work and life. And whilst finding their own balance, they've also found time to inspire others to do the same. My interest in Sarah Davenport started when she came as a guest to a uh, well-being workshop that I was running. Sarah, I'm absolutely delighted to welcome you to the uh, Work-Life Time Machine today. Well, I'm very delighted to be here, Jane. Thank you. (laughs) Wonderful. So, Sarah, um, before we get into the time machine, just tell us a little bit about what you're up to today. Uh, What I'm up to today is uh, pretty much the same as I've been passionate about for the last uh, 25 years. So, really, my focus is on getting people to... To, to take back responsibility for managing their own health because you sort of you look back to our grandparents time and everybody you know if you got sick if you had a headache you know any sort of illness in the family and they'd treat it with I don't know with herbs with with oils there were there were natural remedies that were non-invasive and extraordinarily effective and what I have found over the last couple of decades I suppose is that people are relying more and more on on pills, you know, popping a pill, um, which they hope will make them better, often does make them better. Uh, very often, some of the pharmaceutical remedies that everybody uses today have side effects. And from my experience, because I set up um, a cancer charity a long time ago, and one of the terribly painful things um, when I was listening to everybody who talked to me about their experiences was that very often the side effects of what they were taking um, was worse than the actual you know, the illness that they were being treated for. Um, and some of those side effects had, had life, lifetime consequences. So, so my passion really is, is getting people to, to understand more about their own bodies because one of the things I really, really feel is that we don't listen to our bodies anymore. Um, you know, you wake up one day and, and you have whatever illness it is that you're diagnosed with. Well, your body never, it never suddenly wakes up one day ill. There's always tiny whispers. It always whispers before it shouts. Um, and what I think we've all lost the habit or the skill um, of doing is, is listening to our body um, and picking up. If you pick up those whispers earlier on, you, you never need to end up on the on the doctor's doorstep. So what happened for, for me that was really fascinating? I went to um, I go to the Hay Festival every year whenever whenever I can because it's full of such interesting people and fascinating topics. And um, and I was listening to I think one of the most charismatic uh, lecturers that I've ever um, heard. And he was he was an Oxford professor. So he knew everything he knew everything about everything and in the sort of hour talk I was sitting there going wow he's just extraordinary because he was very charismatic um incredibly knowledgeable and and then right at the end uh, somebody said something very flattering to him and he said oh yes but if you ask me anything about my health I wouldn't have a clue he said ask me where my liver is I can't tell you and I had this kind of brain I, I just thought that is the problem nobody knows this incredibly clever man and um and yet he hasn't got a clue where his kidneys are what they do where his liver is what that does and, and nor do most people 
and, and in fact that I did an experiment for a little while with my poor, poor board friends who are terribly bored about my health stuff. Um, and I asked them oh, where their kidneys were, you know, and where their liver was, and could they put their hands on their body? None of them could. And so that's why I wrote my first book. Um, I sort of sat down and I thought, if I could put it into really simple language, so this book is it's really simple and clear, um, but telling people how their body fits together really and what each organ does and what each body system does and why you know how to track if you know what's working and what isn't working and then if you find something that's not working how to make it better again and i think that's fundamental um anyway yeah so so that's where it all started sarah absolutely is and this passion of yours has taken you into you know, the realm of being one of the UK's top health entrepreneurs, amongst many other things. But um, are you up for coming in the time machine with me? Let's get in here. And I want to explore your journey, your work life journey. Is that is that OK with you? Yeah, I'd love to get <laughs> the time machine. The time machine is one of my favourite books. And to have the opportunity is remarkable. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Right. Let's get in, Sarah. So how does it look for you? Tell me what you're thinking and feeling in this time machine. Well... I'm thinking about its fabulous possibilities, especially for going into the future. But um, but I think you wanted to start going <laughs> backwards do. in time. De definitely. We're going to go backwards in time. We're going to go to 1998. And it's so fast, this time machine. We've arrived already. So let me just set the scene. The euro was, was introduced in, in 1998. Also, uh, Microsoft was um, the biggest company in the world at that time. Uh, they're not now, but they were in 1998. The Titanic won 11 Oscars. Um, and uh, there's no surprise that the big song of that year was My Heart Will Go On, sung by Celine Dion. Um, and Google was also founded in, in that year. So, so it was a really interesting year. Tell us about what, what you were up to in 1998. Okay, so I had an art gallery. I was an art dealer um, and I specialised in 18th and 19th century dog paintings, which was a very niche speciality. But I was kind of the world expert, uh, mainly because there were, weren't any other people who specialised. Um, so I'd been doing that for about, I don't know, 10, 10 years or so. Um, and it was something that I absolutely loved. I loved my paintings because they were very quirky and peculiar. Um, I loved my clients and, and it was a really great business and I did extremely you know, nicely, basically. Um, and then what happened, what happened was the, the lady who helped me with um, my children got breast cancer. She was diagnosed with breast cancer. And it sounds really weird, but back then, and I, I can't remember how old, I was probably about 30, I suppose, at the time. I really hadn't met anybody at all who had cancer. and so. I really didn't know how it worked or what happened, but what happened to her was one series of disasters after another. You know, she'd go to an appointment and there'd be nobody there. She'd go to an appointment, nobody'd read her notes. Um, they'd do the same thing to her that the person had done before. Um, I mean, all sorts of really, really bad things happened to her. And there was no support at all. This was a long time ago, so obviously now things are miles better, but, but in those days it wasn't. And so I was thinking about it. And for some reason, I got a, a major bee in my bonnet. And I just thought it shouldn't be like this. You know, if, if this is what's happening to people, it, it's just not good enough. So I decided that 
<laughs> I decided that, that what was needed really was, was one place where all the support services for breast cancer were really easily accessible to people under one roof. Um, rather than having to get on a bus, you know, travel miles, go to a different town to get some sort of, you know, rig advice or support about, you know, nutrition or whatever it was. And so I thought that was a really brilliant idea. And uh, and then I decided that I would fund it. I'd raise, because I, I decided I'd be a fundraiser and I'd, I'd raise the money. And so I went around all the existing charities and said, listen, I think this is, this is what's missing. I think there's a gap in, in the services. And I said, you know, I, I'll commit to raising the money, but will you all manage it and, and take it under your umbrellas? And one after another, they all said, no, we won't. You're wrong. You know, it's perfectly fine as it is. And that was that. So I was left in this position where either I could sort of forget about it and go home, but it just kept niggling me because I just thought they're wrong. You know, this, this is not correct. So in the end... What it boiled down to was that either I'd do it or, or, or leave it alone. And it was really difficult because I loved what I did. I loved my job and I loved it. And, and, and I knew nothing about medicine or cancer or charities or, or anything else. So it, it took me, I don't know, it must take me a year probably of dithering backwards and forwards. And in the end, it kind of, I very much believe in listening to, I don't know what you call it, the universe, listening to the signs, like listening to your body, you know, that there are, you have to be able to hear. And what it felt like was it felt like I'd been, had a gauntlet thrown down on the ground by the universe, you know, like in the old days when when they did duels and things, and and you had to pick up the gauntlet to accept the challenge. And... um, and in the end, I thought, you know, if I don't do it, nobody's going to do it. And, and I was really, really clear that it was something that would ease people's lives very enormously. So I decided that I would start a charity, a new charity, that would set up these support centres. Um, and I didn't have any money except, um, except in the gallery that I had and all, always my paintings. So I basically get them to an auction house and sold them and then with the proceeds set up the, you know, the first um, centre in, uh, in London and, and the charity then went on to have I think about seven different centres um, across the UK and, and became, it had the best complementary and support services in the world I think when it started. It was extremely cutting edge and extremely, it was a very remarkable charity. So that that's what was happening that year. That's when the paintings got sold and we started the charity. And for me, it was a really, a really powerful year, actually, because it taught me lots and lots of lessons. And I think the thing about lessons, the, the lessons that you really learn, um, you carry through with you, don't you, to, to your next project or the rest of your life or whatever it is. And... Um, and certainly that, that major life change, it taught me many things. So the, fir- the first was never to be afraid of change because I'd, I'd spent that year kind of diffing, daffing because, you know, I was going, but my gallery is lovely. I love my gallery. I love the people, you know, making money. It's very secure. I know absolutely what I'm doing and I could do this for the rest of my life. But in fact, that was, that was one of the reasons that I, I decided to leap into the, you know, the darkness really. 
because I thought, hey, I'm only 30. I might live till I'm 80. Do I really want to be doing exactly the same thing for the next 50 years, which I could have done? And so I don't think I'll ever be afraid of change again because it was so easy. It was all in my head, you know, this could go wrong, that could go wrong, I don't know anything. All, all the nurses and the doctors and, and the experts that I talked to all said, you don't know what you're doing, so you can't possibly do this. It's far too major and you're not trained in the right way. And so the other thing that I learned was that it's much better not to be trained in the right way because if you're trained the same as everybody else, you'll produce the same result as everybody else. And, um, and I, think, I think that's a, a major learning, actually. So, um, and, and plus, the second that everything to do with my gallery went up for sale on the podium at the auction. You know, I thought that I'd sit there and cry, really, because I loved my paintings. And but the second that the last one was sold, it was as if, as if it had never been. It was literally like that was that story. That story had ended really nicely and a new chapter was opening. And, um, yeah, it was a, a really fascinating time. Sarah, it certainly is fascinating. And, and Breast Cancer Haven, um, as you say, was really world leading and you know, changed the lives of so many women. I mean, on behalf of, I haven't suffered with cancer myself, but I've had many, many family um, and friends that, that, that have and still are. Um, and so I thank you on behalf of, of everybody for, you know, really, as you say, complementing what was going on. Um, and having that vision and that passion to basically change your life um, yes. because you saw something that wasn't right and you had the tenacity and the drive and the you know, it's really passion isn't it and I love I love your life lessons there what would you tell your younger self Sarah what would I tell myself um well that never be afraid of change I think is a really major um major one because it's something that you make up in your head. It's not necessarily the reality. Um, and I think you can overthink things. For me, what I do now, anytime I start something, is I hold the end intention, you know, the end picture of where I'm going really clearly in my head. And then I let it be. And I deal with things one day at a time. Because if you think too big, I've noticed in people, they say, well, I'm going to do this, but this could go wrong and this could go wrong and what if this happens and all the rest of it. And fear is very paralyzing. So you trigger the emotion of fear and it shuts everything down, frankly. So I prefer to go a day or a week at a time and deal with what's happening. And you find you may not go, if you've plotted it all out and you've done your kind of structure and you know this is where you went now this is where you wanted to go and step one two three four five you might not go step one two three four five but you might just take a wigglier route but you still get there in the end instead of being paralyzed halfway along because step three and step four was just far too frightening a, a concept so i think what do i think i think it's really important to have a passion and a purpose so I would say to anybody, if you are those people who, you know, they decide they're going to be an accountant or they're going to be a lawyer, and actually all they really wanted to do was write music, I think you have to follow your, your heart, not your mind. I always think you have to follow your gut and your heart because logic can override it, but it doesn't necessarily take you in a direction that you want to end up with. 
there's, there's always those stories about the ladders, you know, you, you, you're climbing your career ladder and you climb those, those rungs up to the top. But when you get to the top of the wall and look over, you'd climbed the wrong wall. So I think you have to be conscious right from the beginning of, of doing something every day that fulfills you. You know, I don't think I've had a single day of my entire career that I haven't got up and gone, Woo, what are we going to do today? And it's been a joy, basically. Sarah, that is that is so good to know. And, and you can you can read that and you can feel that when, when we're talking now, when I read, you know, your amazing books and your website and all of the amazing advice that you put out. Sarah, let's go forward 22 years and arrive at the present day. So, um, you know, tell me what you're observing and how your work is um, happening today. Um, yes. So I think that this time is a time where where everything that I've been talking about, the, the taking responsibility for your own body um, and your own health gets to be even more important than, um, than ever before, actually. Because on the one hand, the government, the government is taking control of this pandemic that we're all in at the moment, but it doesn't really have any answers um, other than wash your hands, stay distant and, and lock everybody down. And so what I've been doing since the beginning of the pandemic is researching the science globally, because when it started, I mean, particularly Italy, they did an awful lot of um, research in Japan and China. Um, and I have found that from, from their studies, there's an incredibly powerful way of, of reducing your life, A, your likelihood of getting infected in the first place, and B, um, certainly reducing your symptoms and that's with vitamin d vitamin d3 zinc and and vitamin c and they found that when they've treated people with those very inexpensive um you know supplements that the results have been remarkable uh that's not being fed through at all uh in, in the media generally so i just think that everybody should take responsibility for themselves and and do their own research you know don't believe me any more than believing anybody else but you've only got one body and if you're not going to take care of it you know you are the only person who is going to take care of it so so that responsibility is I think essential um you need to read and and check the facts you know before Sarah, it's really interesting. I, I, I was just reflecting now on what you were saying and, and you know, taking responsibility and, and the only person that can really understand you is, is you yourself. But we don't listen to these whispers, do we? And we, we don't take the action. Why do you think that is? I think the world's just got so busy and so frenetic and, you know, we're all listening to podcasts like your podcast, Jane. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and we're just drowned in in technology and stuff and I think the noise is such that uh, you don't have those spaces for silence to listen and and I think that's that's why people suddenly go oh I've just been diagnosed with x or y I didn't have a clue well it's because there was too much noise I think um, so I, I think it's really important to build that time and silence into your day I mean people say you know meditate every day and, and meditation is fantastic and scientifically fantastic but a lot of people think oh I haven't got you know an hour to sit down and meditate twice a day and all the rest of it but you can do a five minutes you can do three minutes you just need the silence and and to listen 
I totally agree with you. I mean, it's, it was something that I knew I should do, but I wasn't doing. And I've absolutely changed, you know, my, my, my day and how I do it and integrating it into, you know, taking those breaks and taking that space and giving myself silence to listen. And it is, it's, it's very powerful as well, because I feel, I feel more like me by doing that as well. Definitely. Um, I can absolutely relate to that. Well, I mean, I think that people always, you know, generalizing about life, people were saying, well, there's health, wealth and happiness. But I think that health is the most important because without your health, you, you know, your happiness and your wealth, you can't really appreciate them to the same same degree. So I think the most important thing that anybody can do for themselves is um, is look after their health. And, and I wrote Reboot Your Health and, and various other books, too. But my I think the most important thing to start with is doing what I call the health baseline. Because if you don't know how your body is right now this second, uh, how can you tell whether all those supplements you're putting in your body, all the vitamins or the minerals or the you know, meditation that you're doing is actually making any difference? Um, so, you know, what I ask people to do is, is, is to briefly go through every aspect of their body and find out what's working and, and what's not working. Um, and it's really simple. It's very inexpensive. You can do it at home. Most of the tests are for free. But it's a, it will give you a very clear picture of how your body is functioning now. Um, and, and then each chapter, when you've identified you know, what might not be working as well as, as other parts of you, it gives you very inexpensive ways of, of getting yourself back to balance. Um, and I think that's the kind of number one thing. It's, it's like taking your car for an MOT. You know, you do it regularly. You only need to do it like once a year. But it flags the bits that need help. You do it for your car. <laughs> Why wouldn't you do it for yourself? It's true, though, Sarah, isn't it? But I, I love this idea of the baseline. And as I say, I've, you know, I, I'm building that up. And, and for you, um, once you have this baseline and you do you know start to find something that's that's you know maybe um out of balance is probably the way to put it um you know what advice would you give people to to do would you advise them to uh you know read more about themselves or you know, what you know what, what, what would you advise somebody to do if they do find something in these these sort of do-it-yourself tests at home that is maybe showing something that doesn't seem quite right well, I mean, I would always consult your, your own doctor. But in the time from when you observe, you know, this, this malfunction of some sort and the time you get to see your doctor, because I don't know about you, it always takes me about two weeks to get an appointment. I would, um, I would follow the advice in the book and, and, and try whichever um, solution seems appropriate to you. So that by the time you get to the doctor, you can see whether it's made any difference um, or not. I would always say consult um, you know, a medical professional. But at the same time, sometimes it's quite useful to go along to, the, to him and say, but I've done this very basic test on my thyroid. It seems to me that my thyroid is not functioning at all. Um, and then you've already done the test that you can show him. And they're, they're, they're standard medical tests in, in this book. Um, so that he knows immediately to... To test your thyroid rather than send you away with the same test <laughs> but yes come back two weeks later <laughs> no but absolutely and you know i i know myself having um you know supported parents and other loved ones is that you do have to you know know what questions to ask and make sure that you're 
you know, really getting under the skin of stuff because, um, you know, I know many, many times in those conversations that I've had with medical professionals and they do do the most amazing job, but they're also busy and, and, uh, and are overwhelmed. And I know many times I stopped my father in particular uh, with my brother taking something because it wasn't necessary. But then there were other times where they weren't listening and there was something necessary. So, you know, again, I think it's keeping, you know, what I've learned from you is trying to sort of keep a, a diary really of, of myself. And as I'm walking now, I might have a sort of listen and, and just see. And that's been so helpful, Sarah. And, and that's all down to, you know, getting you to, get me to think about those whispers and 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 often that shouts as well but not just <laughs> and not just whispers that shouts but but let's um let's go forward because um i want us to have a bit of fun in the time machine so let's go off to 2030 and um you know let's arrive in in 2030 and it's predicted there's so many predictions you know we'll be a digital first world and we'll be more human um only 30 percent of people are being full-time employment everybody else will be either gig working or contingent working there's always these predictions isn't there but what do you foresee sarah i would hope well i was reading the other day the um it's a short story about you is hg wells i think it's called um the machine stops and it, it was written in something like, I, I looked up to see when it was written because he had such great foresight because um, I know he's sort of Victorian. And it was written in 1896. So, I mean, yeah, 120 years ago, um, 125 years ago. And it's a story about how humanity has, has basically retreated into their homes, <laughs> into their rooms, in fact. And from there, they're they're fed by the machine, which is, um, and it's a really fascinating story. And, and so they get taken on, on holidays, they put on uh, headphones on their heads and they're on a beach in Maldives and they have, and they can, virtual reality is identical to real reality. And the air is given to them, the food is given to them. Everything happens from inside your home. And so <laughs> I was thinking about it the other day and I was thinking, Ooh, you know, let's hope this isn't where we're going because when their machine stops, you know, the whole the whole thing breaks down, but what I where I hope we'll end up is in um, a society where, I mean, I think the online thing is fantastic. I think being able to talk to your doctor without having to you know trail out um, and sit in a clinic with lots and lots of people and wait for hours to see somebody to be able to do that face to face on um, on the computer is a fantastic thing and I've, I've tried it several times and it works beautifully um the same thing with all these zooms and the online learning from a from a health point of view i really really hope that medicine has has moved more to frequency treatment which is which is non-invasive and from the science and the studies that are being done now um seems to be extraordinarily effective the technology that uses light and sound and color um, and and these are frequencies and our body is you know basically frequency as well so frequency affects frequency and it i can see that in 10 20 30 years time these developments will have you know become mainstream and, and i really really hope that 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 will be so because the difference it will make to people's experience of of, of illness will be extraordinary Absolutely. I'd love to be in, in that world, Sarah. It sounds really interesting. Um, 
definitely. I, I, I'd love to do a bit more reading about that. That's fascinating. Now, I'm going to be really brave now, Sarah, and I'm going to hand the time machine over to you. So where are we going and why? <laughs> OK, so I thought about this one. And um, the image that keeps coming to my mind was from about, I'm trying to think, we started at the first Breast Cancer Haven Centre in 2000, and this must have been about 2002, a lady came in and, and I was talking to her for a very long time and her main difficulty, she'd been diagnosed with some um, advanced breast cancer and she couldn't understand why. And so she was telling me her, her life story and she was saying to me, but you know, I exercise every day. She was, she was young and she was very, very fit. Um, she does masses of exercise. She supplemented. She ate organic food. She was just a super healthy person, and and she just couldn't understand why it had happened to her. And and then talking to her, it became clear that she had had this extraordinary load of difficulties that had happened to her. So she, you know, she she'd lost her one of her parents. She'd had huge work stresses. She had four or five really major life traumas. Um, and for me, that was it, you know. That, and I, I realised that people have very little comprehension of the effect that major life traumas and stresses have on your physical body. And, and in a very simplistic sort of way, what, what happens when you are overwhelmed by an event or that that triggers emotions such as you know grief or despair you know anger rage fury every emotion is basically a chemical and uh, and when your body is drowned on a daily basis by those chemicals that have negative effects on your physiology it overloads your body and so she had no um she'd never thought before about the effects of stress on on health and, and stress is one of the really, really major things that, that, that can make you sick. And equally, by reversing that stress, you can unload that stress, you know, the way the stress is affecting your body. So people underestimate the power of their mind on the physical body and the emotions that they feel that actually they can undermine their immune system, they can weaken it, um, and the effect the past has on your on your present at all times. So if, if in your head you're always thinking about that event that happened 20 years ago, it, it's still live in your subconscious and it's still affecting you. So there are all sorts of techniques and practices and, and therapists actually that can help you. You can't change the past, but you can disconnect the effect that the past is having on your present. And for me, when I'm doing the, you know, the health baseline with people, looking at your mental and emotional well-being is is paramount um and, and it's a question really of sort of unloading going back through everything and um and setting yourself free from from the past Sarah, it's fascinating what you're saying I, I, and that's great to go back to that time and 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 just explore that idea um of in knowing that some of those things are and what sort of part they've played in them you really got me thinking now which is um I'm, I'm going to do some more reflecting on what you were saying uh definitely there 
Sarah, now it's time for us to leave the time machine. I know that, um, you know, you're going to be sad to get out of this amazing time machine, <laughs> but you can, borrow it. <laughs> you can borrow it any time that you like. <laughs> and I know that you and I will have many more conversations about this incredible work that, that, that you're doing. And I really urge listeners to sign up to Sarah's uh, website. We will put the details of that. And Sarah's also um, going to give us some ideas if you want to delve deeper into some of the stuff that she's been talking about today and just some uh, links or, or as to where you can go but Sarah thank you so much for giving us your your time today and sharing your wisdom with us uh, and anytime Jane <laughs> absolutely um the website is uh, www.rebothealth.co.uk um, and one of the things that I've been doing during lockdown is is putting together the the health related technology um and products that I think will really make a difference to your health so so please do take a look I can't emphasize enough the importance of taking responsibility please share Sarah's amazing work Sarah thank you so much and um, I look forward to hearing lots more about your work in the future great Jane thank you Wonderful, Sarah. Thank you. And to all of our listeners out there as well, please subscribe to the podcast on People Who Know because there's so many other amazing conversations to help you and uh, find out more about what people are up to in their work life. Thank you. We shall leave it there. <laughs>